Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, we are very, uh, very fortunate to be welcoming back a, uh, a honored uh, former guest tonight. Uh, tell us who we got with us. Former guest, current guest, uh, Louisville fanatic, uh, hosts Louisville Sports Live every Wednesday at 6 o'clock on 93.9 The Ville in Louisville. He joined us last offseason to preview the Louisville Cardinals. And Joe, we got a lot to talk about with Louisville, so we decided to bring him back on. Ethan Moore, what's going on, Ethan? Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm actually surprised that you're having me back because I think – when I spoke to you guys this past summer, I probably predicted anywhere from eight to nine wins for the Louisville football team. And I was uh, just off of my prediction by, you know, what, seven, six wins. <laughs> I was going to say it was, uh, it came in just short of that. I think just short. Yeah. 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 At least the, the, the games that they lost were close. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. They, <laughs> they were competitive, uh, showed good effort, all this stuff. <laughs> Yes, it, it was it was a it was a you know a fantastic year and all around. Of course, of course. And you know what, Joey and I were talking to like throughout the year. We were like, man, Ethan really hyped us up on Louisville football, and you know we were giving our official season predictions before the year started. And uh, Joey and I said, yeah, you know what, I could see Louisville getting to like six or seven wins, and then it snowballed. Yes, yeah, snowball. It, it it turned out to be like a. a massive boulder by the time the season ended yeah it was uh it was a disaster i mean no, there's no two ways about it um it was an all systems failure offense defense special teams coaching effort execution whatever you wanted to say i mean it was an epic failure Ethan, I, that's kind of why i wanted to start was you know with expectations coming in you know we said that this at least probably should be you know a pushing for a bowl game kind of thing and Hopefully, kind of a soft landing coming off of the Lamar Jackson era. These kinds of things. Um, they go in first week of the year, uh, first Saturday night in Orlando, and just get the doors blown off by Alabama. Frankly, I mean, no harm, no foul. Like you're not the only team to get the doors blown off by Alabama in any given year in the last decade. So that's that's probably fine. But I, I guess I'm curious: was it there, or is there another point? in the early goings where you first started to really realize something was wrong here with this Louisville team versus what you expect them to be? Well, well, first thing with the Alabama game, I mean, I wasn't overly disappointed. I mean, I think if you, if you take a snapshot of Louisville's horrendous two and 10 year, I thought um, there were parts of the Alabama game where I thought Louisville at least competed, um, it's gotten so bad that I think the first drive Louisville like um, got it to third and long. Of course, Bama converted on that, that one and uh, went into to score and then throttle them. But I thought there was some several several plays in that game that that would that gave me some hope for for the season. But to answer your question, Joe, and I'm not saying this because you're a Yellow Jackets fan. It was the Georgia Tech game for me. Um, the Friday night contest. It was just when the Yellow Jackets just constantly with ease. I mean, it was just, um, you could see the play developing. That's when I, that's when I knew, um, I, I thought that the season might be over. I don't know if you guys remember that Louisville had Florida state beaten virtually the entire game. Petrino had a horrendous play call where he would call a pass and Juwan pass the quarterback at the time threw a, threw a bad ball that got intercepted. I uh, had about a 50 yard return. And then a couple of plays later, Florida State scored in the closing seconds and won the game. That started it. Uh, but the Georgia Tech game really sealed the deal on Louisville's um, terrible season. Um, just there, there was a lack of fight, especially in the second half of that game. 
uh, Georgia Tech could do whatever they wanted. I think they 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 rolled up like 600 yards of total offense. I mean, it was a disaster. And, and then that's when you could see the average fan could see uh, the players kind of just going through the motions. Um, and then, you know, there was a lot of speculation that the coaching staff all but quit during the year. And even um, uh, I had grown not to like Petrino and staff. I was a defender in, in terms of that. I didn't think the coaching staff had given up. <clears throat> but looking back on it, I really think they did. I mean, there's been a lot of articles that have come out uh, recently over the last month or so, and the players are just talking about how the coaches really didn't care. Um, they didn't come right out and say that, but, but what they have said, they didn't get the proper coaching. The current quarterback's coach, Frank Ponce, has said that he's kind of he's been a little bit surprised about how he's had to coach fundamentals um, to the quarterbacks for Louisville. Um, based on what you saw last year, it's not a big a big of a surprise. But when you're you know you have you know a redshirt sophomore, and then you have um, you know he's now a second year freshman, and you have to teach fundamentals, you know, in a Power Five Division One league. It's it's certainly it's not surprising, but but it's it's you know quite frankly it's infuriating to you know you have a coaching staff that was handsomely paid and you know pun intended drop the ball in, in all facets. I mean, you have players uh, that were talking about how the, they they didn't feel like the coaching staff was accessible. You also had several um, stories that came out and Louisville, the city had its by far most talented crop of recruits. Uh, and we're, we're talking maybe 10, 15 years. And Louisville was only able to snag one of them. And then they had a couple go um, up the road um, to perennial doormat Kentucky uh, because uh, in part because Louisville's coaching, coaching staff didn't give them enough time or attention. Uh, there was a couple guys that really wanted to be recruited a lot by Louisville, and Petrino didn't even, you know, have his face shown in the local high schools. I mean, when I talk about like a massive epic failure on all fronts, I mean every aspect. And the coaching staff, you know, gave up mid-season, especially, uh, and just kind of mailed it in. And it's disappointing because UFL missed out on a bunch of local prospects. I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but to answer your question. The Georgia Tech game um, was the game for me that that I that I realized like this thing's going off the rails and quick. Let's just dive into the coaching staff a little bit, Ethan, because you touched on it quite a bit there. So we might as well kind of segue into the Brian Van Gorder experiment, a defensive coordinator. Uh, and uh, Joey and I talked to you about this before the year. You warned me. We we tried <laughs> to warn you. Um, we did try to warn you. I remember Ethan, you asking us the question though. Um, about whether or not this would be a step up from Peter Sermon. And I remember Joey and I said, well, we think so, but it's really like not that broad of a leap, right? Like Peter Sermon was so bad two years ago and you hire Brian Van Gorder. It's like, okay, well, it has to get a little bit better, but I don't think it was. And I feel like this whole thing kind of bottomed out even worse than Joey and I expected, certainly. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it did bottom out. I mean, it was it was among, I think Louisville's defense was ranked in the 100s in every every possible category. Uh, it was, if not the worst, one of the worst Power Five programs all year long. Yeah, for, and you'll get you guys are right. Um, I mean, he somehow was even worse than Peter Sermon. Uh, but I think though too, that's because the players had checked out. Um, if, I mean, if we're being honest, the last four or five games of the year, um, especially once, you know, Clemson blasted him, I think it was 77 to 16 or something stupid. I mean, after that, it, it, you know, it was pointless. The games were just a formality. Louisville was going to get blown out. I think Louisville was the first Power 5 team um, to lose, I mean, it, to, or to give up 50 or more points five consecutive weeks. I mean, it, it was Ooh. just a disaster. But yeah, you're right, man. Uh, notorious BVG lived up to his name. He was terrible. <laughs> I yeah, I, I was just I, so I put in the description for this episode that I think when you start looking at it, the 2018 Louisville team actually might be one of the more interesting college football teams of the past decade. 
for all of the wrong reasons. Like, I don't know that we have oh, yeah. seen a team check out quite on this magnitude in years. Um, it, it became very obvious. I, I, by the way, I agree with you, Ethan, that I, I was at the Louisville Georgia tech game. Um, and it was about at halftime of that game where they were coming off of the crushing Florida state loss. They figured out in the first half, they weren't really going to stop Georgia tech that night. And I mean, that was it for their season. Like they quit basically at halftime of that game. And it was just never the same after that. Um, Man, just wild. I, so at the, end of the, at the end of the day, uh, this coaching staff, it was a total mess. They get fired. Uh, Bobby Petrino fired after the Syracuse game. He was fired on November 11th. Uh, had Lorenzo Ward coach the last couple of games for the Cardinals. Ultimately, they move on. Did you feel like that was uh, appropriate timing, or was it too early, too late for the firing? No, I think that uh, our AD Vince Tyree wanted to wait until the end of the year, mm-hmm. but given how bad uh, the team was getting, and just you know, players were, were putting their name. I mean, Louisville had a reported like twenty or more players in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was like it was bad. They had just lost um, one of their more talented quarterbacks to transfer. Now it came out a few months later. He's he uh, ended up transferring to Florida State. The kid, Jordan Travis, is from Florida, a high three-star kid. Um, didn't have a very good experience here and transferred. But, I mean, it, it, it got to the point to where it was like the team had given up, the coaching staff had checked out, and I don't think it was possible to kind of hold on because the, the, the toxic atmosphere had gotten so bad that Tyre was was left with really no choice but to can him when he did. So, Ethan, they can him, right? And then all the talk was about Jeff Brom. And Joey and I and everybody expected, and I know you guys expected Jeff Brom to be the guy. So talk us through the whole Jeff Brom experience, right? Because he's interviewed, and then Louisville reportedly doesn't come to the table with enough money. And then Jeff Brom is kind of, you know, I'll say they put Louisville in no man's land because he kind of did there for about a week, week and a half where nobody really knew what was going to happen. Um, just talk us through the whole Jeff Brom experience, like what the fan base kind of expect to happen. I, I mean, I, I know they wanted Brom. And so kind of the fallout afterwards once Brom decided to stay at Purdue. Well, that's a great question because I, I have a story for you guys. So, you know, we're on every Wednesday night on the local ESPN affiliate. And Brom watch um, culminated on a Wednesday night. I mean, it was perfect timing. So we were going on air and I had gotten word from a source probably about an hour before. So we went on at six. I had gotten word at about five o'clock that it didn't look like Brom. uh, It looked like Brom was staying at Purdue and going up to it. I mean, I think once, you know, once he was fired after the Syracuse mess, I think the percentage on Braum becoming Louisville's head coach was like 99%. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was what our sources were saying. That's what the fan, you know, fan base, of course, was all on board. So uh, fast forward to about um, – to let's say that the day – the two days after – Purdue beats Indiana for their last regular season win. I think that 99% probably went down to 75. So you still, people were still feeling pretty confident, but by Sunday night, we're like, you know, okay. So he hasn't been interviewed yet. Then we get word that there are, they are going to interview. And I think that was either on a Monday or Tuesday. I want to say it was a Tuesday. So then once nothing was shaken out on a Monday, you know, your, your fan intuition is kind of like, uh, it's kind of weird. You thought this would be like wrapped up by now, but we still weren't hearing anything that, um, that would tell us that he wasn't going to take the job. <clears throat> so then the interview I think happens on a Tuesday morning. And of course, I mean, it's Brom watch. It's, it's all, you got the hashtag. Everybody's like on pins and needles waiting for a decision. And then it's like done refreshing the page every six minutes. Exactly. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was nuts. And so that Tuesday night, Louisville played Michigan state and won in basketball, the ACC big 10 challenge. 
and I'm like working the phones and you're hearing all this stuff. What are you hearing? I'm hearing this. I'm hearing that, you know, and it really kind of took, I mean, I was super excited that Louisville beat Michigan state. It was a huge win still is uh, for the basketball cards, but it was just kind of like, man, like, all right, so what's going to happen? Are we going to hear any minute? And then I started hearing it's 50, 50. So we go from 99%, 75%, 50, 50. And it's like a toss up. And I'm hearing this, um, we had a couple of good sources pretty close, but then you heard, you heard some outside sources from other media and it's all like 50, 50. All right. They're in a hotel room. Um, the entire Braun family is meeting and they're talking about it and it's like, Oh crap. But then <clears throat> part of me and a lot of Louisville fans were like, well, wait a minute. Why is this 50, 50 deal, dude? Like you, you're, you're going to come home. You're the golden son. Um, you're going to help this program get back on track like what's the deal and there was the report that he wasn't offered um enough money i I don't know um ultimately how that played out how that played out or what factor it was because i also heard that you know louisville certainly raised you know raised the stakes um there was a report out that purdue was going to offer six million dollars i don't think that it was ever the case and for me looking back on it guys I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I really, really wanted Brom, but he's 13 and 13. He's certainly he's, he's a fantastic coach. Um, he can uh, he's a fan, he's a phenomenal recruiter. He has turned Purdue around in just two years. But do I want to pay six million dollars for a coach that's 13 and 13 at the Power Five? You know, you, you started hearing all these crazy numbers. Now, again, I don't think Purdue, you know ended up paying him that much anyway. So, but, that, but that's besides the point. So getting back on topic, it's 50-50 Tuesday night. You go into Wednesday morning, and I, and I started – and I hadn't heard anything, but I really – I started getting a bad feeling because I was like, man, what is there to think about? This is not – you know, Purdue, you know, it's a Big Ten program, but, like, let's be honest. I mean – Purdue and Louisville, I mean, facilities-wise, Louisville hasn't beat. ACC, um, the Atlantic, it's, it's, a, it's a better division. I mean, you can argue that the ACC, although not really this year, is a better co- football conference in the Big Ten. You can have that argument. That's for another show. <laughs> but you start getting frustrated looking at it from a fan perspective. Like, what is the holdup here? You know, he's only been there two years. He interviewed at Tennessee, remember, after year one. So – you know, you're starting to get frustrated. But then fast forward, I'm at the studio. You start getting some information. Um, you know, a good source tells me, you know, about five, it was like five, 15, going on 45 minutes. Man, he's staying. He's not coming. It's not official. But then we get, you know, we, we got that word. And it was from a good enough source that you're just like. And then this is where the crazy part comes in between media hack and fan. Like, I don't want to be all mad and, and upset and disappointed on air, you know, and then have a terrible show. But at the same time, as a fan, like, I'm bummed, man. I mean, it was a huge appointment. Then at about 6.15, <clears throat> we get a text from our our president or our VP at the station. He's like, um, I just spoke with a really good source i'm going to be able to go public with it shortly um and then we have him on so we patch him through a couple of minutes later and then he gives the news that you know i've confirmed that he is staying in west lafayette and it was just like a gut punch Mm -hmm. you're just like oh you know i kind of heard that a couple you know about a half hour before that but then you don't want to believe it and then he goes from like kind of shocked to like, I mean, people were heated. I mean, I was mad because you're just like, because you talked about, you know, you know, being loyal to the guys at Purdue. And I'm like, well, what about being loyal to your hometown, to your hometown, you know, your hometown, your hometown school, where your family's from? I um, mean, his dad wanted, you know, wanted him and his mom wanted him to come to U of L. Mm-hmm. And um, an interesting story was that. He came on with uh, um, on our station the following Friday morning, and and this is what kind of softened me up a little bit. Um, is uh, the morning host who who is our president or our VP? 
you know, point blank asked him, he goes, how hard was it to tell your dad that you weren't coming home and coming to UofL, your alma mater? And dude, he broke down. I mean, he, he was crying for a good 30 seconds, man. I mean, live radio where it's kind of like, wow. Like, you know, he, he, it took him guys. I'm not kidding. Like a good half a minute to compose himself. And when, you know, you guys on a podcast, live, live podcast, live radio, mm-hmm. that's an eternity. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, wow, man, that's, I mean, he, he, there's no BS there. I mean, there was no BS there. I mean, I'm still disappointed he didn't <clears throat> he didn't take the job. And I will tell you this too: I uh, certainly was not uh, disappointed at all to see Auburn, you know, score 100 points on him and blow him out in the bowl game either. You know, make no mistake, he didn't go to Louisville. I'm not pulling for Purdue, um, like all the Louisville fans were, you know, kind of you know expecting him to come here. But yeah, man, it was it was a lot of shock. It was a lot of shock, and. Um, I think most people are over that now, uh, but I will tell you, most Louisville fans aren't going to be pulling for Purdue anymore. I'll tell you that. I, it it really was a shock, and and I mean, there was a lot of national media and such that was talking about it like it was a foregone conclusion before it even oh, yeah. happened, you know. And so, the way it happened, the you know that it happened the way it did, I think was pretty uh, pretty shocking to us all for sure. Um, let's fast forward a little bit, Ethan. So we've got no Jeff Brom here, so now we're we're continuing down the coaching search path. If I'm not mistaken, the, the next main guy that they kind of focused in on was Neil Brown from Troy. And correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, he was a, a primary candidate. He might've interviewed, you know, was, was doing pretty well and looking like he was going to be the guy. And then his, uh, his connections to Kentucky are kind of what ended up uh, un, un, his undoing, I guess, in the uh, Louisville coaching search there. Well, Joe, yeah, um, um, that's not um, exactly how it went down. I think Satterfield was – now, Neil Brown was mentioned. He never interviewed at UofL, um, but Satterfield was the backup. Um, I know, um, to your point, Neil Brown was mentioned, but it got so much blowback from the fans that he wasn't, he wasn't a serious candidate because, like you just mentioned, of the Kentucky connection. I mean, we've had Patino in here who's had several assistants with UK ties and we're done with that. We Mm -hmm. didn't want any more people with ties to UK. I think he's going to do a great job at West Virginia, but um, Satterfield was the guy that was number two. Um, That, that deal got done fairly quick. Um, And a lot of people like myself included, I didn't know anything about him and he was up front. But what I liked about him from the start was he was up front and honest. I mean, he had, no, I'm going to talk to I'm going to talk to some other programs. I'm going to talk to Louisville, but I'm not going to do it until after the Sun Belt Championship. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, listen, we need more of that stuff. How about some honesty from our football coaches and college <laughs> coaches? That's refreshing. And then once we knew that Tyre had kind of zoned in on him, you know, I remember watching the, the championship, watching how they play, and studying um, his resume. I mean, this is a coach that's had in something big with me that I would expect at some point for Louisville football is to get to that elusive double-digit wins, you know, in the ACC. This is something that, that Satterfield has done three or four times. I mean, he's he's won 11 games twice, uh, won 10 games at least one other time, and then his other teams have won nine games uh, a couple of more times. So this is a guy that, again, at the Sun Belt level, um, that's a big question. Can, can what he's done at that level translate to the ACC? We're going to find out. But he's a proven winner. Uh, he's a proven winner. His players love him. Um, uh, his his defenses are much improved. His offense is not really too flashy, but it gets the job done. Um, so I'm excited to see. I mean, so far what he's done, um, I, I like what he's done recruiting in the short time that he's had. I mean, now if you look on paper, it's the, it the you know 14th dead last class in the ACC. It's only in like number 73 ranked according to 247 sports but i mean still oh for, for you know given the circumstances and the time crunch i thought i thought he did a good job he's got a <clears throat> he's got a host of, of great coaches young coaches uh, that are good recruiters that the play that can relate to players something that petrino staff um, was terrible at it for being honest and so i like to i like what he's done but i mean at the end of the day i mean he's gonna have to win games I, i'm willing to give him three or four years to see what he has 
Um, but so far, so good. I mean, you know, I think that he, he's a good fit, and he fits with what our new AD Vince Tower wants to do. He wants to bring in um, coaches that have a family, you know, family atmosphere, no baggage, no off-the-field or off-the-court drama, and can win games. I mean, because let's face it, at the end of the day, you're going to have to win if you want to stay employed. Uh, and Satterfield fits that fits that mold um, to the T. Um, there was a little bit of blowback uh, for not having um, a spring game, and they're actually guys. They've been going into practice. It's not even fall ball, or it's not even spring ball anymore. It's it's, it's been in the winter. They started two weeks ago. Oh wow! Um, and they're on, well, yeah, they're on week three of. I mean, I guess quote unquote spring ball, but um, they're going to have a fan day and in a scrimmage on March 7th and then they're done, but that's going to be their spring spring ball. Uh, will will be over with on March 7th. Uh, but, but I like the reasoning that he gave us. I like, listen, if there's an injury, I want another month or so to heal up, um, uh, before fall camp. And for me, I don't know about you guys, but I, I mean, I don't care about a spring game. I mean, whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a glorified practice. We kind of act like we had to care about it, you know, to cover it. We don't have to worry about that now. Whatever Satterfield thinks we need to do to to improve as a program, I'm on board with. If he doesn't want a spring game, that's fine by me. I have a feeling that's not the consensus of the fan base, though. It's not. Um, I think um, once once Satterfield kind of went, he again, he's been much more open with the media than Petrino and his you know cliche lame comments over and over again but he was again something like like our basketball coach chris mack he, he you know he's he's up front and honest and says what's on his mind and he said listen you know i'm not big on spring games we didn't do that at app state we're not going to do that here if somebody gets hurt you know i want more time to um for our guys to heal up and get ready for fall camp and again for me i would put it now Mike, I'd probably put it at at fifty fifty. Now, I would I would put it when it first came out. I probably would say it was like eighty twenty. People were against it, but I think as time has wore on, it's you know when you really think about it, you know it's a spring game. But again, though, we had anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand fans, so it's not like it really attracted a whole bunch, anyways. Um, but I think the fans just wanted access to the program and there's going to be a fan day and that by and large, you know, kind of calmed everybody down uh, there for the fans that wanted to have a spring game. And real quick, Ethan also. Um, so what would you say the pulse of the fan base is now like with Satterfield? So, you know, the Brom thing happens that falls through. You know, they they talk to Neil Brown and interview never takes place. And then the Satterfield hire occurs. How does the fan base feel about this hire? I mean, this is the next best thing or I mean, how are they feeling about it overall? You think I think um, I think everybody's basically on board. I think when it first happened, everybody was so stunned with Brom. You know, they're like, who's this guy? Is it App State? Blah, blah, blah. But once people started researching what he's done, his resume, the results that he's had, I think people were, were, were on board with it. I mean, I, I, I think the vast majority of the fan base is on board because there's been such a culture change. I mean, he mentioned culture and discipline so many times in his press conference, and, and that's what we're seeing a difference in. It's, it's upbeat. We actually have, um, you know, videos on Twitter of practicing the coaches coaching them up. Um, uh, preaching that positivity, which is what the you know, which is what this program needs. Now, again, it's going to have to translate into wins, but so far, I think the the fan base is is enjoying that. And again, and I'm telling you guys, once um, App State won the Sun Belt, and then they went on to win their bowl game, and then Purdue was crushed by Auburn. That any fan, and I'm being honest, once the fans that were kind of on, on the fence with Brom. Once that blowout in the Music City Bowl happened, I think uh, Coach Satterfield, by default, won a lot more support um, when they saw that end result. Yeah, and I'm sure that helped to ease the pain a little bit, too, as you mentioned earlier, and kind of lessen that blowback a little bit for not getting him. Um, it did. I My last question, Ethan, um, as, as we look at this team moving forward, uh, between all the transfers that they had at the end of last season, between 
the the, the recruiting class coming in this year where th- it's clear that this thing is pretty much being stripped down to the studs this year. I mean, this is a wholesale rebuild. At what point, I mean, I, I can't think it's reasonable to expect any amount of winning really this fall. So I guess at what point do you do you start having those expectations? Do you need to start seeing some wins on the scoreboard um, to really believe in uh, Satterfield as a longtime uh, Louisville kind of <clears throat> guy that, you know, guy that can really I'm, take that where can be? Yeah, I'll give you my thoughts because um, I, I don't know if I can speak for the fan base here. But for me, and you know, partly partly is because um, when I was on your all show, my my expectations fell flat on my face. <laughs> um, and I, it was a funny story too. I I tweeted a guy um, from Athlon Sports who projected Louisville to go four and eight, or, or it was something to have a losing record. And I said, listen, I will bet you a hundred dollars to a charity of your choice. That Louisville, there's no way Louisville has a losing record. And of course, we it was it was friendly banter back and forth. He he declined. He didn't want to have to bet me. And I apologized to him profusely. I was like, dude, huh. uh, I look like an idiot. Um, I appreciate you not not wanting to bet me because you know I would have you know again a hundred dollars for charity is a good thing anyways. But sure, I would have certainly been on the losing end of that bet. But I think for me, <clears throat> I, I want to see four wins. And this is so. This is so out of my element as a fan to even to to expect a losing record. I mean, this is this is how bad that the program is. But I do think that there is talent still on this roster. Now it's not going to be nine or ten win talent, but I think this team could compete for a bowl game this year. But for me, uh, the non conference uh, they open with Notre Dame. That's going to be a loss. They play uh, that team up the road the very last game of the regular season um they lose a lot i'm not expecting louisville to go in there and beat them which pains me to say it um and then they play eastern and western kentucky i expect the cards to handle those two then i expect them to get two acc wins i mean if if i'm looking at the schedule right now there's two 100 and 100 for sure losses that's notre dame and clemson um, and I, can, I think on the schedule, too, I mean, there's certainly, you know, likely losses as well. But for me, if Louisville can go four and eight, <clears throat> that would show me, hey, you doubled your win total. You um, won two two more games in conference play that you did last year. But for me, year two, um, you know, they need to be in a bowl game for sure, year two. And then, uh, you know, year three, let's start flirting with the seven, eight win mark. For that, if he can do that, that upper trajectory, of you know, two win improvement each year, then I think that that would that would show the fan base because I know, right or wrong, it's about three years. You got about three years to show improvement. I I haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe that he wouldn't do that and, and build his program back up. But for me, four and eight. Uh, but year two, you got to get to a bowl game. Very interesting. I. I there's a lot going on there. Again, I'm very curious to kind of see where Satterfield can take this moving forward. I, The biggest thing I think to me that's a concern at this point is, I mean, Satterfield has a long track record of being very successful. The problem is that his almost his entire track record is at Appalachian State. Yep. Um, you know, there's not a lot of evidence that really definitively says that, you know, what he does will work elsewhere. Um, and so, that said, I mean, he it's a long track record of success, you know, so that's that's more than some of the coaches that got hired in this cycle can say, you know, so I, I don't think it's a bulletproof hire, but I think it was a really good hire that Louisville made. And uh, I'm curious to see how it works out. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you nailed it. I mean, that that's the biggest question that Louisville fans have. Can the, the can the Sunbelt translate, you know, can the success that he had at App State translate into a power five level? I mean, we're going to, you know, we'll see. Um, I do think that he has a fantastic staff in place. I mean, he lured um, Oregon's top uh, recruiting ace back to Louisville and Court Dennison, Oregon five class. Um, he also had, you know, brought Dwayne Ledford, who's the co-offensive coordinator, offensive line coach, um, a top five nationally coach on the offensive line over from NC State. Um, so he has some guys that have Florida ties, which is what, um, this program needed, um, and they have younger, energetic guys. Brian Brown, the defensive coordinator, 
um, for Louisville, the co-defensive coordinator with Court Dennison, who came over from Oregon. And he's a younger guy. His defense is um, playing an attacking style of defense. They wrapped up. They were fundamentally sound. And that's the stuff that, that you know, we want to see because, you know, this, this team offensively and defensively was so bad in all areas. I mean, so right now, I mean, he's, you know, the, the saying playing with house money, it's overplayed or whatever, but really near one, you know, any improvement at all. I mean, if they play Notre Dame and they only, in air quotes, lose by three touchdowns, I mean, by and large, the fan base will be like, well, all right. They competed and, you know, I mean, nobody's going to expect them to win, but if they can just show, you know, a little bit of improvement from week to week, um, that's going to go, and that'll bow well. Now, if Louisville were to get blown out by Notre Dame, I don't think that's necessarily, you know, cause for panic either because, you know, like you said, this thing is stripped down to, to nuts and bolts. So, you know, again, he's going to have, he's going to have plenty of time to build this thing back up, but, you know, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in full support of Satterfield, and he's got an impressive resume, and we'll see if it translates. I think it will, but I mean that that is a legitimate question. Time will tell, um, Ethan. That is a a lot of great information on Louisville. Really appreciate you kind of joining and and giving those insights with us. Um, we've got a couple other ACC newsy items here. If you want to stick around and kind of chat about those for a minute, sure. Awesome. Let's move forward. All right. Uh, Mike, real quick, a couple, uh, couple little tidbits out of Virginia Tech. Uh, we got a new safeties coach going to Blacksburg, yeah? Uh, sticking of. around Blacksburg, really. Yeah, sort <laughs> of. Yeah. Uh, so Tyrone Nix leaves Virginia Tech after one year. He was a safeties coach, heads back to Ole Miss. Um, and in his, in his stead, the Virginia Tech promotes Chesson Hamilton, who was a recruiting coordinator slash you know, assistant director of football operations. Anyway, uh, he becomes a new safeties coach at Virginia Tech. Um, you know, former Hokie played with the team in the early 2000s. Uh, so, you know, he's proven to be a very good recruiter. Uh, so that's that's a positive. Tyrone Nix was a good safeties coach his one year in Blacksburg and was also a good recruiter. So this is kind of a lateral move. But I think Justin Hamilton, uh, with his experience, you know, getting more of an opportunity there as a safeties coach, I think that'll bode well there for Virginia Tech. And finally, finally at long last, some positive football news in Blacksburg. We got a quarterback transferring in from Oregon. Four-star. Yeah. Former, former four-star anyway. Uh, Braxton Burmeister uh, played 11 games at Oregon over the last two years. Uh, four-star quarterback from La Jolla, California. Nice and sunny San Diego area. Bummer. He'll fit um, in in Blacksburg. Yeah, where it's 40 degrees, overcast, and perpetually cold. Um, anyway, uh, he comes into a crowded quarterback room, Joey, after Hendon Hooker withdrew his name from the transfer portal. So Hendon Hooker's now back. Um, Hokies, of course, still have Ryan Willis and Quincy Patterson in the fold, but now add Braxton Burmeister. Uh, it's unclear whether or not Burmeister will be petitioning to the NCAA for immediate eligibility. We'll kind of see how that turns out. Um, he only played in four games this past year, so obviously eligible for a red shirt after playing in the 2017 season. So uh, if he were immediately eligible, he would be a red shirt sophomore. He would have three years of eligibility remaining, and he'd be battling, I would assume, for a uh, starting quarterback job, which Justin Fuente has termed an open race. So we'll see what happens there. Um, if he does not, of course, he would have to sit out the 2019 season. He would join the Hokies in 2020. Um you know, eligible anyway, and he would have two years of eligibility remaining as a redshirt junior. Uh, of course, I would expect for him to petition to the NCAA for a sixth year of eligibility when the time was right, uh, if he elected to kind of go down that route and thought that he had a chance to play. So another talented quarterback in the room, Joey, and it's good news for the Hokies after Hendon Hooker removed his name from the transfer portal. So now all of a sudden the Hokies go from no depth to quarterback to now more depth than they expected. Ethan, we, we mentioned that there were a bunch of transfers that left Louisville. Do you know what the final uh, the final damage was there in terms of how many how many players left after the season? It wasn't nearly as bad as we thought. Again, you know, once you put your name in the transfer portal, it doesn't mean you're going to transfer. It just means you're interested. Um, off the top of my head, guys, I want to say, I mean, Jordan Travis, the quarterback I mentioned earlier, going to Florida State, is the only is really the only one of note. I mean, I would be I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of other names popped up after um, spring slash winter ball is finished at U of L. I know that um, 
Louisville fans were interested in Josh Jackson, um, who who was reportedly going to visit U of L, but he ended up. I know what he committed um, to Maryland. Uh, he was supposed to visit U of L after the Maryland trip, um, but you know decided to go with the Terps. Um, so I think the coaching staff is still going to be on the market for a grad transfer quarterback um, because Cunningham and Pass, the two that played the most last year, um, you know failed to really seize that role as a starter on a consistent basis. But um, not not too bad damage-wise. Um, the only one of note was that quarter of George Travis. Yep, he, uh, he left and went to Florida State. Uh, sounds like he'll be pretty immediately eligible. So, okay, yeah, I mean, it's been a, a popular thing this year, I guess, is the transfer portal. It only seems to gain more and more traffic through the years. Um, Let's move on real quick. A little newsy bit. Um, Georgia Tech new defensive coordinator Andrew Thacker was offered the defensive coordinator job at Oregon and turned it down. Allegedly, um, it was reported by the Athletic that this happened, and then that report was refuted and kind of rewritten a little bit to where he was not actually offered the job, but was maybe you know they they inquired with him about it and talked with him a little bit, but there was never an offer made. So. Um, Check your sources, kids. That's all I got. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Especially that quick, right? So he goes from, hey, new job at Georgia Tech to, oh, maybe another new job at Oregon, like less than three months later. But turns out not to be. Well, and he had only just joined Jeff Collins uh, at Temple the last couple of years. Before that, it was Kennesaw State and UCF and the Falcons and Southern Miss, all, you know, one year apiece as, as an assistant here, assistant there. So, um, Certainly a guy that seems like he is uh, rising up the coaching ranks fast. He's only 33 years old now, so we'll see how long he uh, he stays in Atlanta. Not bad. Not bad. Last thing I've got, Mike, and this is a not even really an ACC-relevant thing as much, but I, I am glad that we're going to bring this up while Ethan's on because I'm, I'm really curious to hear uh, his take on it. Uh, just from a college football standpoint, um, as we mentioned that Neil Brown was in consideration for the Louisville job. He ends up taking the job at West Virginia. Um, there was some, some discussion this week that kind of mentioned him or mentioned West Virginia, and it had me thinking, and I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on this. If one day in the near future, you know, in the next three years, let's say uh, Kentucky fires Mark Stoops, if Neil Brown were to pick up and leave West Virginia and go to his alma mater of Kentucky, is that a step up, a step down, or a lateral move coming from West Virginia and the Big 12, Ethan? What are, you, what are your thoughts there? Well, obviously I'm biased, um, but I mean, if we're being honest, I mean, it would be a step down because West Virginia does have a lot of football tradition. They've been relevant a lot longer. Um, you know, Kentucky did have a, a fantastic season. Uh, what, 10, 10 wins, uh, beat Penn State in the Citrus Bowl. They had a fantastic year. But I mean, if you're, if you're looking at, um, you know, top 25 finishes, New Year's Bowl games, um, you know, big time games, you know, West Virginia is certainly um, a bigger football job than it is Kentucky. But, it, you know, if Mark Stoops were to leave in some form or fashion, do I think Neil Brown would leave West Virginia for Kentucky? I do. But I still think that that would be West Virginia is the better job. I think this is lateral, Joey. I do. I, I think, and, and Ethan, uh, I think this is a lateral move. And here's why I think that. So, um, I, Point well taken, Ethan, about the the football tradition at West Virginia. I think that's 1,000% true. Uh, but given the success that Mark Stoops has had the last few years there at Kentucky and, and you know, getting them a Citrus Bowl win, um, the fact that they do play in the SEC East, right? So they, they play in the quote-unquote easier the two divisions in the SEC. Um, West Virginia has had trouble uh, both recruiting and – uh, their on-field success since they've joined the Big 12. It's been palpable. It's been a difficult move for them um, moving into that conference. I think it's a lateral move overall because I, you know, I don't think Kentucky football-wise will be able to have the resources that West Virginia has. I think it's much easier to recruit to West. It's not easy to recruit to either job, but I think it's a little bit easier at this point to recruit to West Virginia than it is to Kentucky. Um uh, and with all that being said, I do think Neil Brown would take the job at Kentucky if, if this kind of shook out the way that 
we kind of proposed. Um, I, I think he would absolutely leave West Virginia for his alma mater, Kentucky. And I think the opportunity to coach in the SEC is is a real thing. I, I think coaches do take that into consideration. And uh, whether we all like it or not, it, it is one of the premier conferences in the country. And I, and I do think a lot of uh, schools recruit to that and recruit their coaches and respective coaching staffs to that. So um, I do think it would be an attractive job for Neil Brown for all those reasons outside of the fact that, of course, it is his alma mater. I, I, I think I kind of fall in between you guys of maybe calling it a lateral move is the right thing here. Um, I, one of the things that I always harp on, and, and I've talked about this with North Carolina and a couple of other teams, you know, where it seems like there is a bit of a glass ceiling for the football program is these schools where the football program will always be playing second fiddle to the basketball team. I, I, I There's just only ever going to be so much support that you get at a school like Kentucky where the, the basketball program will always be king. Whereas at West Virginia, I mean, yeah, there's a strong basketball tradition, but it's it's not any stronger than the football tradition, as you guys have mentioned. I mean, and even talking about in the context of Louisville, I mean, 10 years ago, that was a huge rivalry in the Big East. Um, in the Rich Rod and, and Petrino 1.0 days, you know, I spent a couple of Thursday nights staying up watching watching those games that were uh, a lot of fun and, and didn't often turn out in Louisville's favor, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I, I think that, yeah, moving from the Big 12 to the SEC, I mean, that's a step up. But um, a, a program like that where you're probably not getting a ton more financial resources, plus you're going to be up against it every year with Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, all those. I mean, I, I just I don't know that you're going to have an easier time winning at uh, at Kentucky than you would at West Virginia. And so it's it's hard to say at that point that it's even it's anything more than a lateral move. It might even be a little bit like what I might call like a half step down. Um but it was just something I, I was kind of thinking about. I thought it was an interesting thing to kind of explore here. Definitely that is, that's a that's a great hypothetical because I mean I, I agree with Mike. I mean if, if it were to, if the Kentucky job were to open up, I certainly think Neil Brown would leave West Virginia. And, and you brought up the good point about it being a, uh, you know Kentucky's obviously a basketball school first. That kind of has to weigh in. You know, do, would you want to go to the in the SEC but be second fiddle or stay in the Big Twelve with a, with a football school? You know, West Virginia is known more as a football school, but you're in the Big 12. Um, you know, it has its plus and minuses, you know. And again, can you win, you know, or are you ever going to beat Georgia, you know, Florida consistently? Or, you know, are you going to have to try to, you know, knock off Oklahoma or Texas, you know, who's, you know, who are really good programs, especially Texas is getting better. But, you know, do you have, you know, where is, where are you, able to win more i mean that's that's something that you know if the job ever opened up um you know that that would be you know an interesting dynamic for sure i have no idea if we'll ever see i <laughs> maybe we will maybe we won't you know part of that is going to require him to be successful at west virginia i would think i mean if he's yeah. not if he's not winning there you know kentucky's not going to come uh not going to come calling for him i, I would assume yeah, but he's been good. I mean, he's been good at Troy. He's been really good. And I think the same thing applies um, with, with Satterfield. And, and I think it was a great point that Satterfield mentioned his success against Troy in the uh, opening o- opening press conference because you know Neil's name, Neil Brown's name, was thrown around with the Louisville job. He made it a point to you know to tell everybody you know how successful he's been against Neil Brown's teams. I like it. <laughs> Throw that, slide that right in there. Never a bad time for the uh, Louisville Kentucky rivalry there. Nope. <laughs> uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else that we need to cover before we get out of here? I think we're good. Thanks to Ethan for sure. Thanks, Thanks for, for having it. me, gentlemen. Yeah, Ethan Moore. Once again, always a pleasure having him on. Um, Ethan, tell them where they can go find your stuff on uh, Twitter and on on the radio and such. Absolutely, uh, Louisville Sports Live is the name of the radio show. Um, our blog is LouisvilleSportsLive.net. I'd be lying to you if I said it was super active right now. Um, we have a couple stories up there, but it has been super active. Um, our radio shows every Wednesday at 6 o'clock on 93.9 The Ville. If you feel so inclined to uh, get your fix on Louisville Sports, you can log on to 939theville.com and stream our show live. And, of course, we podcast it as well on SoundCloud and then our site as well. Well, thanks again for coming on and joining us and kind of running us through the uh, the gauntlet of 
Louisville football over the last six months. It has been a bit of a whirlwind here. So thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you on again here sometime in the future. You got it, guys. Thanks so much. Have a good week. Yep, thanks, Ethan. You too. Go Cards. Uh, once again, that's Ethan Moore. Thanks so much to him for joining. Uh, Mike, we're going to get out of here. Uh, we're going to come back here in a couple of weeks and hit on whatever other news pops up in the meantime. Uh, I'm going to be out of town here for a little bit, going on a uh, little bit of a vacation to a little place called Hawaii. Not bad. So, yeah. Uh, hopefully I will come back and be less red than my shirt, but odds of that not great. So we'll see how that goes. Um uh, Mike, when we do come back, uh, we're going to hit on, hit on some things. But in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, you can find Ethan Moore on Twitter at underscore Ethan Moore. Uh, go check him out for all things Louisville sports uh, and much more. So uh, thanks to him for joining. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. Uh, and you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Yeah, Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do. Also, I forgot the most important part of the show. You can send your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address, no demand, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yeah. Uh, a little out of order, but you know, we're we're getting a little rusty here in the offseason. It happens. Happens. It happens. Uh Mike, they can also find us on YouTube if they so choose. I don't know if this episode in particular will be uh, posted, but a lot of them do get posted there and usually posted before the audio gets sent to your podcast feed. So if you want to, you know, if you're really in a, in a hurry to hear our new videos when they come out, uh, you can go find them there. Just search for our channel basketball conference. Uh, we don't have a fancy URL or anything like that. We're getting there. We are. Yeah, we are getting there. Uh, if you hit the subscribe button, if you hit the, you know, the like button and all that good stuff, that actually helps us. Um, I think we need like a hundred subscribers on YouTube to get a fancy URL. Um, so the more of you that are subscribing, the uh, easier you'll have a time finding us on, uh, on YouTube. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. You want to come back and uh, check in here in a couple weeks? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right. Until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. Ethan Moore, I'm Joey Weaver. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.